Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 308. I have got Andy Cajun Junkin on from Stubborn.farm. He's a... Uh, been on once before talking about what's going on there and you know uh Caden is a uh i guess an expert in in uh you know succession planning and and uh those kind of things so you know Cajun, welcome back to the show man thanks I, for I, going how you been yeah, man? I, I appreciate it i help stubborn farmers work better together that's my niche but yeah. uh essentially the last 15 years i've been this in this for 15 years now um as a full-time occupation and I've been the guy that uh, 15 years ago, I started off as a mediator and I was called in to turn around the most dire either farm debt or farm succession cases um, across North America. And over the last 15 years, kind of developed a different approach to farm management. And I think that's what we're going to talk about today is uh, my perspective on farm succession planning. Um, it's essentially this, this, I mean, the way we're doing, I mean, farming has changed so much in the last hundred years and yet the way we do succession planning is still based on 17th century common law and it is causing the dysfunctional uh, business partnerships and creating dysfunctional um, farm families and dysfunctional farmers. I mean, simply put, instead of there being one generation farming at a time, we got two, three generations farming together and we got often two, three cousins in the partnership. And instead of there being one person that's a boss, we got many people that are trying to be the boss and we got everybody button heads and pulling the farm in different directions and, my something in the cracks and uh, the way we're transitioning equity these days, we're basically waiting until somebody kicks a bucket. And the thing that uh, is a problem is that, you know, back in the sixties, when dad was 60, he would retire because his hips were shot. Nowadays he's going in for hip surgery and he's farming to his eighties or nineties. And if you want to farm till you're 92 and then semi retire, I'm totally fine with that. I think that's great. I'll do everything I can to make it happen. But we got a situation now we've got three or four generations in a partnership and three or four cousins, and it's just dysfunctional. And, um, you know, it doesn't make sense. I mean, it's fine to be uh, crowned king of England when you're 72, uh, but that just doesn't make sense for any 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 uh, business. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And um, the way we're, we're doing things is just completely wrong. Yeah. And I think you hit on it right there. So I think even in the last 10 years, you know, since when I started working this business 15 years ago to where we're at now, um, it's, uh, it's changed so much to where the, the, the business acumen that, that is coming into, the, into these farming operations now and, and the way the, the, uh, the farming operation is being handled and looked at is completely different than it was yeah. back then. You know, I mean, you're getting people to come in that are, you know, their kids are going off to college and they're coming back in and they're, they're specializing in a specific thing, you know, when it looks at, you know, yeah. finance perspective or whether it's, you know, whatever agronomy or whatever it is that they're doing, right. There's all these different moving parts that start coming into play, which opens up a huge door to, you know, what, what is, what's my worth on the farm? What's my job on the farm? And then what am I, you know, what am I going to do when I get back there? What's that look like? And yeah. You can, there, there's not, from the folks I've dealt with, you don't really, there's no, uh, it's almost like there needs to be a job description put in play, like a regular job description like you'd see at any other business that you work in. Like if you're coming in for a position, this is the position and here's what your expectations are. Are, are you running into stuff like that now where you're starting to see some of these family farms with, with lack of a better term, job descriptions being handed out? As to what your expectations? Yeah, I mean, basically, a lot of the um, fifteen years ago when I was mediating family conflicts, uh, usually that those farms actually had uh, two, three so-called management consultants or experts on their farm before I, or even succession planners out at the farm. And one of the first things they did was actually um, get job descriptions in place. But the, the the problem I have with that is that there's there's your area of responsibility, and then there's your partner's area of responsibility. And quite often, you know, I think three heads are better than one. And too often, we don't like to, I mean, you might see an area of, of, of um, you know, we're just not self-aware of mistakes we're making. Mm-hmm. And, and your partners might be able to see it. Yet, you don't want to say anything because you don't want to rock the boat. And the decision not to make a decision is decision itself. And you'd be surprised, but a lot of the farms, we're, we're talking about 30% to 50% potential profit being lost because we're not able to talk about um, ways to improve efficiency of operation without getting protective about our little fiefdoms, right? And, it, and, then, and then often when we, we have group discussions, it becomes more important to be right in a discussion and as a result than, than for things to be right. And so the whole, di- I mean, um, we can go into a, a whole, today I want to talk about estate planning okay. on just at the 5,000 foot level. Um, we can get into a whole a discussion at a later time about how uh, team decision-making. I think it's really important for everybody to have their areas of responsibility, but also be able to come back to the table and, you know, get everybody's input. As, I mean, if you can get five partners brainstorming ways to improve efficiency of the operation, um, that's 10 times better than, than one person just insisting that they know it all. And, and I think the other issue that I should address here is that quite often when a son or daughter come home to the co- from college, uh, the first couple of years they do a couple of different tasks, and then they kind of get in a routine of what they do, what their areas of responsibility are. And then you have a situation where there's dad's area of responsibilities. And um, like I see a lot of farms where dad is doing – uh, commodity trading, he's doing the bookkeeping until he's in his 80s. And if you want to do, I've, I mean, for as your body starts to give out of doing physical work, you know, those are still jobs that 
the farmer can still have a hand in and, and they take pride. And I mean, I've seen a lot of moms, for instance, they do the bookkeeping on the farm into their eighties. And I think that's fantastic. The, the problem that we have is that bookkeeping, for instance, is not a job that you can just go take a course and, and learn. Yes, you can learn, a, a, take a course and learn how to um, plug in data and, uh, and the QuickBooks. But the wisdom, I don't think people understand the importance of wisdom. The wisdom of how to make one plus one equal five when times are tight. That takes about 10 years of experience. That takes 10,000 man hours of experience to actually learn. And, you know, that is not a job that you should be learning when your mom is 82 and then she's got terminal cancer. Because that's going to take you at least 10 years to learn. I think that as a son and daughter come home from college, you every farm should identify eight critical jobs that are critical to the farm's long-term success and make sure that you train the youngest member of the family, not just the family, um, the middle generation, but the youngest family member, how to do those jobs so that, you know, they things like bookkeeping. Am, uh, I'm not, am I saying that, that a son or daughter that's 22 years old should be writing checks? Absolutely not. But what I am saying is that they can be helping grandma make out the checks and they can be balanced in the books under grandma's supervision for five years, 10 years. And the grandma signs the checks because that type of responsibility, that type of wisdom takes 10 years to learn. And the same thing for commodity trading. I mean, is another prime example. I really think that a son and daughter, as soon as they come home from college, within the first three years of them coming home, there should be a point in time that they they get the responsibility of trading 5% of the corn crop, 5% of the bean crop, because they need 10 years of mistakes to learn so that when they do have, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with grandpa trading 95% of the corn, 95% of the beans until he's 92 and he wants to semi-retire. I'm fine with that. But teaching wisdom is so critical. And I think that we need to have that discussion from day one. And that's part of what I want to talk to you about today is I have something called the 9,000 hour rule. And so for the first three years that the kid comes home from college, I really think that they should be, the average farmer is working 3,000 hours. I mean, heck, the average entrepreneur in America is working 3,000 hours, right? Somewhere between 2,500 to 3,500 hours is what I'm seeing the average farm. If you want to go work at McDonald's for 40 hours a week, go do that. But if you want to be a successful business owner, it's going to take at least 3,000 hours of work in order to, to be able to farm uh, successfully. The one common ingredient between a good farm and a farm that's failing is work ethic, right? Um, and learning to balance that is pretty critical. So for the first three years that a son and daughter come home, I think there should be a trial period where they have the opportunity to earn partnership. And during that, three, uh, during that first three-year period, they have to work 3,000 hours. And every month, they have the performance evaluated. We could talk about the performance evaluation later. But the thing is, during every, every, every 90 days, they should be groomed into a new key role in the farm where they're learning how to do a critical task, like, like trading commodities, like doing bookkeeping. I'm fine with a grandma and grandpa uh, continuing to do those jobs until the day they die. But we need to start training uh, successors up front. Like any fool, I mean, to see somebody play a fiddle, 
that looks pretty easy. But to actually hold the fiddle and actually play it, that takes 10,000 hours of practice to do. And that I think that I see a lot of farm families where the um, the farm patriarch acts like a dictator and holds on to the reins of control by controlling the checkbook until you know the day he's di- dies, and then within 15 years, the successors have ran that farm into the ground because they didn't learn the wisdom. They got the assets from a grandma and grandpa or, or mom and dad, but they didn't get the wisdom. And I witnessed that firsthand, my own farm family, my grandpa, I apologized to my mother on his deathbed. He said, I taught my boy how to work, but I didn't teach him how to manage. And that's been an infatuation of mine for the last 15 years is how do we transfer wisdom from one generation to the next? And I really think that it's got to start the first three years that the kid comes home so that you got 10 years before there's going to be anybody possibly with health issues. Uh, so that the lot uh, that doesn't matter who it gets hit by lightning, the family farm is still going to be around in fifty years time. So, so lay that out a little bit. What, what's that plan look like when you're talking with your folks? How do you how do you go through that that plan? What's that look well, like? Well, I think that for I think for every month, every month you have either you do it monthly or quarterly. It's your your family's decision. Mm-hmm. Basically, every month you evaluate the sons and daughters' performance. And with, with every farm family, when I start working with the farm family, I get the farm family to identify five things that made the farm successful. And then uh, like, like hard work might be a work ethic. Uh, um, I mean, what are the five things that made the, the farm successful for the last three generations? That's absolutely critical that continues, right? If you have a successor that thinks he's only going to have to work four hours a day, not 15 like grandpa and grandma did, I mean, that farm is, uh, I don't want to trust him with with my estate because I don't know if he can manage the farm and, and be able to pay my nursing home bills. You know, there are certain values that made the farm successful that's got to continue. The, second, the other thing is you've got to identify five things that have got to change in how you work together, right? So, there, I mean, I mean... And we can we can talk about this in another podcast and get get really into, into the de- details. But basically, I want to come up with ten values, five things that made a farm successful, five things that we got to change as a family, and then every month I want to evaluate and and grade my successor on a on a um, like a like a report card. Did he get an A plus in work ethic, or did he get an F? And there, if it's an F, and we we have suggestions for what he should be doing different. Like for instance, if if he continuously shows up to the barn half an hour late, then he should be okay. The first time we say, okay, next next month you show up, uh, be sure to be showing up to the barn five minutes before uh, you're supposed to be there at four o'clock in the morning. And if he continues to show up an hour later, half an hour later, take the farm for granted. You know, at some point in time, we have to have a discussion as you would with any employee: is farming a career for you, or are you better suited to go work somewhere else? And then that that objective process, the success will know for himself or herself, hey, I'm just not cutting it here. And then you can have the conversation as a family, you know, it's just not your passion to be here. Right. If you're if you can't get if you're not excited to get out of bed and go milk those cows, what are you excited about? And what's find your bliss? And I think that a lot of farm families, uh, the successors come home because it's easier 
and going, not a lot, but there are some farm families, and I, I'm sure that everybody knows somebody in their community where this, the successor is taking over a multi-million dollar business and they're there for the money, not because they have the passion. They're stuck living mom and dad's dreams, not, not their own. And that living somebody else's dreams is, is a living version of hell, not heaven. And I think what's really important in that first three years that the son and daughter come home is for you to determine whether or not you have the passion. And it will be reflected in your work performance. If you're really having a hard time getting out of bed in the morning, um, then, you know, and, and having the work ethic that grandpa had, then maybe you should be considering a different career. I mean, there's lots of, there's lots of kids that go to college to be a lawyer. And after three years of being a lawyer, they decide they don't want to be a lawyer anymore. But for farm families, it's a different dynamic because you just don't want to disappoint your parents. And, um, there's oftentimes, that parents get really excited about their sons and daughters coming home to farm. And the first year, summer that the kids come home, the, the parents are pouring concrete for a new dairy barn, for instance, and suddenly the family's locked into debt. I've seen a lot of farmers that they, they build robot barns for the kids. Well, two years into after the concrete's poured, the, 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 the kid comes out, I just hate farming. I hate working with you. And, you know, I want to see a three-year period where we, we really evaluate, is this really a career for you? And let's have an objective performance review as to how are you enjoying being working here? How are we enjoying working with you? Would you be somebody that, I, if you were not a relative, that I would want to bring in as a partner, whether you're a relative or not? Are you, are you somebody that's bonafide? And then, does that make sense, Casey? Yeah, absolutely. And I think... One other thing I, I wanted your opinion on when I kind of popped in my head as you were talking about it was there's a lot of farm families now that that are asking their kids, you know, you want to come back to the farm, that's great. We want you to come back. Can't wait for you to be here. Uh, you need to spend five years doing something else before you come back to the farm, whether that's working in whatever or go working for another farmer or another operation, something like that. What are your thoughts on that? And, and how do you think that plays into or how do you think that would play into what you're talking about? I, I really think it's important. Um, but my, I, I, I cannot emphasize that enough. And I, I really think that doing it out of state is really important as well. I think that for a year, you're at least a year, maybe uh, two years, your son and daughter should go work in a different state. Um, maybe for, um, business that's similar to yours that you really look up to. Um, but they, they you gotta have them move to somewhere where your family name does not matter mm -hmm. uh, where nobody's afraid to fire you because there's a family relationship. Like don't work, go work for you know, your dad's best friend from college because probably that employer is not going to um, want to fire you because you're his best friend's kids. Mm -hmm. Go work for a stranger and go learn, um, go learn um, to live on minimum wage as a farm employee and really experience what what uh, the kind of experience that a Hispanic worker or somebody that works for you is going to be, before you become a boss, you have to be an employee and go through that experience, both on the farm as being as far as being bossed around, but more importantly off the farm. What is it like to live in a trailer? What is it like to live for twelve bucks an hour? And really to be able to empathize with your employees and be a good boss in the future. That's that's the most critical lesson. Mm -hmm. um, um, but, but too often farm families don't even do that. I mean, there's, 
there's some reason that the son or daughter can't come, uh, have to come home immediately. Um, but, and I've, I've struggled with this for years and this is why, where we started off with the 9,000 hour rule and how the things blossom from there. Yep. Yep. Okay. So when you're looking at, um, each, each, this is something I've thought about and I'd like to have your opinion on it. Cause it kind of falls into this. You have multiple children coming back into, uh, to the farm, right? You say you got three siblings, right? Yeah. All three of those kids are going off to college to do their thing. What's your opinion of, you know, I don't want to say, um, you know, pigeonholing each one of those kids into some, doing something, but, you know, taking those three children and saying like, Hey, you know, you've, uh, you've shown that an interest in this, you know, say maybe on the finance side, Hey, you've shown interest in maybe it's the agronomy side. And Hey, maybe you've shown some interest on, on, you know, managing the real estate and, and putting deals together and, and growing the, the farm, yeah. you know, those kind of things. What's your thoughts on stuff like that where you're having specific areas that, I mean, obviously I think your, your point's awesome that everyone's kind of got to know a little bit of everything, but having yeah. those niched things on the farm. I, I think there's, there's two things that have to be developed yeah. and that that's your, the, the son and daughter strengths. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be different than what grandma and grandpa uh, strengths are and what mom and dad's strengths are. I mean, you've got to really go through and really find out what, and I have a, do a lot of testing to really kind of figure out what the strengths of each individual is. And then you've got to, in your strategic plan, you've got to really, first of all, you've got to really provide the environment for that son and daughter to grow that, 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 that strength into an opportunity for the farm. Mm-hmm. And then maybe that the strategic direction of the farm may shift based on that strength. But I want three years to really make that strength uh, into a true strength, not just, uh, I mean, there's lots of sons and daughters with um, with potential, but I want to see them realize their full potential. And before we start building, like, for instance, there may be a son and daughter with a interest in getting into cheese. Uh, as a value added to a dairy operation. Well, go, let's identify that up front. Okay, over the next three years, I want to develop my uh, talent as far as sales marketing. Do that over three years in an off farm experience instead of, and be, so that when you b- spend $2 million on, on a farm expansion into building a creamery, um, it's not just a disaster that bankrupts the farm. You know, it's important for your son and daughter. I mean, it might be just the son and daughter going and selling vacuums in order to get into cold calling, right? There, I mean, it's important to identify what strengths and uh, strengths the sons and daughter have that you want to re- realize their full potential. But it's also important to identify what their weaknesses are too. And what is it? What are the liabilities to your operation long-term? Like it, when, when your son and daughter are 30, let's say your son and daughter is 23 today, when your son and daughter's 30 years of age, and let's just say the whole uh, grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, all get, and Uncle Bill all getting a, um, hit by lightning at the same time, how are you going to make sure that your farm is bulletproof by 2050? And so every fam- I don't care how good of a person you are, everybody's got 5% about themselves that are weaknesses. And so when I do my performance review, every, every month I'm doing three things. I, uh, well, there's, I talked to you earlier about getting core values and understanding does a son and daughter conform to the core values of how we do things at this farm and how we're going to do things in the future. 
I think you brought up an excellent point about the strengths, strengths, uh, fulfilling the strengths and maximizing the strengths. What kind of opportunities they're going to do to to go about uh, really making the, those those strengths into to true strengths. But then also, I want to identify what's what's uh, each each month. We want to identify one one lackluster work performance. So if your son and daughter's sleeping in next month, just don't do it. And if you continue to do it, then we might have to get you to an off-farm career. But then also identify one character trait. Um, for farm families, everybody, I don't care how good of a person you are, everybody's got 5% about their weaknesses, whether it's its a procrastination or being passive aggressive or or having a bit of an alcoholic dependency, mm-hmm. right? And and for every month, if you can identify one weaknesses, weakness that you have in your character and turn it into strength, in 24 months, you're going to have a different different successor. You're not just going to have a successor that has potential, but they're going to be realizing their full potential. And then the third thing is, as, as I spoke to you earlier, is that I want to see the mom and dad transfer one responsibility and teaching them something critical management. Because the more successful you are as a farmer, the harder it is for you to let go of control and to teach wisdom because you're a doer, not a teacher. And so for you to write down on a sheet of paper, this month, I'm going to be teaching my son X, Y, Z. And generally how I, my rule of thumb is do one big thing every quarter, like bookkeeping or, or book uh, bookkeeping or, or trading commodities, and then two, two minor things that are also important things as well. And if you can do that over 24 months, your son and daughter are going to have 24 skills that, that you are insured that no matter if grandma, the whole family gets hit by lightning, that 2050, your farm will be successful. And I think that's really, I mean, what the heck's the sense in working your butt off to building up a, a successful farm and, and a successful family if it's all going to implode, if, if grandma and grandpa get hit by lightning? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's, that's the biggest liability that, that I see too often. A lot of the farm debt turnarounds that I've, I've dealt with, the root issue is that grandpa held control of the checkbook and he just basically had glorified employees, not managers. And he was successful in transferring assets, but he didn't transfer management. And 15 years later, those farms fell apart without grandpa's leadership. So yeah. I want to see the, uh, I want to see successors groomed right, right up front. Yeah. So when you're looking at, um, kind of, uh, let's go back to my thing on the, uh, going and working at a place before you come back to the farm. Yeah. If you go back and you start looking at those things and you are, um, grooming your you know the heirs to your to your uh yeah your farm is there are you are you going to uh maybe i know you said don't go out and work for your for your dad's friend or whatever your mom yeah. whatever but i and i understand that do you think there's a situation where you would say hey, i want you to go work for this just try to get a job with this company over here um or go work at a cargill or go work at a bungie or something like that because you're going to learn maybe you're learning the uh, the commodity side of it there, there's uh, there's been okay. there's there's been several farms where we've had a conversation <laughs> just as a kid came out of college and that was the best thing we ever did was we evaluated the kids strengths and also his weaknesses and then we were really strategic as to where he got his job experiences mm-hmm. like if your kid is is really good at spraying um then for him to go drive a sprayer for somebody else may or may not be the the right. best job experience, right? The question has got to be, where is the farm going to be growing in 10 years' time? And how can we develop that son's potential to into, into his fullest potential? 
so that our farm is going to be awesome 15 years down the road. Right. And that conversation does not happen enough. Yeah. So do you think is technology, what we're seeing now on, on coming to the farm, is that making these conversations harder or easier? I th- I think that I think we get too confused by technology too often. Like I I see a lot of farm families that they they are making they may have their their bookkeeping for instance all on a computer but if when it comes time to actually figure out cost of production I would say at least and I, I'm serious about this, 95, 90, 90 to 95% of the farms, and I'm talking about 10,000 acre farms as well, do not know their actual cost production. The actual, um, it's great to have toys, but to actually make decisions on the farm, there's very there's less than 10% of farms are actually using that as decision making. And more importantly, you know, if a grandson learns a skill such as, you know, using GIS on, on computers, um, uh, using GIS for agronomy. The real question has got to be is how does this grandson bring home that knowledge without grandpa um, shutting that, those ideas down? And one of the biggest things I do in that, that monthly uh, um, meeting I have is I have a time and place that grandpa comes to the table with an idea to improve efficiency of the farm and grandson and dad and their, and daughter and everybody that's really involved in day-to-day operations. And what's really important is that we got to get rid of the I'm smarter than you attitude and start making smarter decisions together. And grandpa has great ideas to improve the efficiency of the, f- the farm. And so does the grandson or granddaughter, but there's gotta be a time and place once a month that's, that's tied to this performance review where we're sitting around brainstorming ideas so that the grandson, if he goes and learns how to use the technology that that you're not just um, putting that 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 knowledge on a, on a shelf. There's a lot. There's a lot of farms where the son went off to college to get skills in say G, GPS and uh, GIS and agronomy, and none of those ideas that uh, anything that he learned at college has been applied to the farm. And there's a lot of farms that they even spent over a hundred thousand dollars on GIS technology, and yet none of that extra data is being used in decision making mm-hmm. and that's got to change i mean there's a lot of, i mean there's a lot a lot of money bits slipping between the cracks because of this dysfunctional decision making because one person is insisting that they know it all and what we got to get is a sense of humility within the farm family where multiple generations multiple siblings and cousins learn to work, make decisions together and that's got to become fundamental and, and that really that's got to be um you know, if the if the the lights are on, and nobody's home. If you have a son and daughter, they're just showing up to meetings and they're not really contributing ideas. Then you understand quickly that they don't really have a passion for farming. There's a lot of farms where grandpa's the whiz on on computers, and the grandson's just not picking up what grandpa's trying to put down. So being able to have that time and place. I mean, it's not just the younger generation that's the technological whizzes. There's a lot of ninety two year olds that know how to use a software program sure. better than anybody. Um, we got, we got to make sure that uh, we're, we're able to, uh, we're able to exchange ideas. And, and that's only through that, that we're going to get the maximum use of technology. Right on. Okay. Um, I think that the, the final thing I want to talk about is after, 
after two years of your son and daughter, if they've had what I insist on, I have a big issue with the attitude of entitlement. You know, there, I mean, I have a farm right now that, um, the son continues to show up, show up to the barn two hours later sometimes than he should be at the, at, uh, be out there at the dairy operation. And he just feels entitled to a $40 million business. And I think that that's what's really important to establish is that you got to be this tall to get on the ride. And then through this performance review process, you have an exit strategy to be able to fire your, uh, if, if your son or daughter are not hitting the mark, you can fire them. And then they can go get that maybe two years experience working for somebody else. And then they may be able to come back if they, they had a good experience off the farm. But, you know, you want to, I mean, the worst case scenario is for nobody gets married expecting to get a divorce. Nobody gets, uh, goes home to farm with their family expecting an issue with, with a farming with family. But it often happens. So this process really provides a, a diplomatic way to have an out. And so that the, the successor has an objective evaluation. I also like to have a 360 performance review so that, you know, grandpa just doesn't feel entitled that he can be a jerk to his grandson because he's trying to turn, pass over a $40 million farm. At the end of the month, we got to have a uh, question about what does dad and grandpa like to work with? Is that a partner and friend anybody would want to work with or is it just living hell? Because if, if, if it's a living hell, it's better to determine that two years in and decide for yourself, you know what? I love my dad, but it's better for us to be fishing buddies and for me to go get a job working at a John Deere, uh, John Deere as a mechanic. Um, it's, it's good to have an evaluation process, but you know the worst thing you can do is quit in haste because of an angry fight. I mean, mm -hmm. the best thing is for you to have a process to exit gracefully instead of being in a big blow up and you guys never getting together for Christmas. Right. But after the, after that three year period, um, I want to have a succession strategy in place. I want to have one page through succession strategy. And so after two years, I suggest that the family has a, uh, has a really good conversation about a succession strategy. And then that gives you the, everybody a year to think about it and to really feel, is this something that we want to do? And when I'm talking about succession strategy, I'm not talking about the sons or daughters getting any assets. Um, I'm talking about having a, a real understanding between partners as to, okay, if I put my shoulder into this operation over the next 30 years, and I take this from a $5 million farm and grow it into a $20 million farm. What percentage of that $15 million in growth is going to go to my sister in California, who's a school teacher and has nothing to do with the farm? And what percentage is, is going to be mine, right, in the long term? And like when Bill Gates became, um, well, let's, let's talk about Steve Jobs and uh, Wozniak. They founded Apple Computers. But they had managers working for them. It was the managers that built the business. And Steve Jobs just didn't promise that, hey, 30 years from now, I'm going to make it right with you if you put your shoulder into growing this business. No, they had a written strategy as to how that person, uh, that manager, after they worked there for a couple of years and proved themselves, they, they offered stock option plans to these managers to keep them around and keep them invested in, in not just being employees, but really being invested and in putting in the extra time to really grow in the business. And that's what made Apple computers successful is that, 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 that those stock option plans. Well, there's a lot of farm families where there isn't a plan and there's, there's guys in their forties that don't own the house they live in. They don't own the, don't own the truck they drive. They don't own a farm. And it's all been a promise that there's mutual understanding between mom and um, the, um, say the, the son and the, the father 
And then suddenly father dies and then mother has a different interpretation of what she wants to do for estate planning. And she decides to give everything equally between all the siblings because by that time, sister's in her 40s and your brother's in his 40s and they have needs. And she feels a lot of guilt in you know how she raised the family. Mm-hmm. And the way she makes up for that guilt is by gifting assets equally between siblings, even though they didn't earn it. And so I think it's really important at the age of 22, 25, up front to have, say, if I'm going to put 30 years into this operation, what's the deal? And, it's, and, and then you can, and then also having it clearly spelled out, okay, when the, for the, the $5 million in assets that we have today, how do I buy out my siblings and, their, and, and be able to provide for mom and dad's retirement in a way that's fair to everybody and get that crystal clear between all the siblings uh, and up front. And then if your sister in California says, hey, he, that's too rich of a deal, you just you just turn around and say, hey, sister, I'd love to have you come join me as a partner in the farm. Come put 9,000 hours into this business. And then you can have the same opportunity for stock options as I'm getting. And that's a real fast way to figure out who's really interested in the farming or who just wants a, a quick quick buck. Mm-hmm. And, and, and because of this, a lot of... A lot of farmers are taking pills for anxiety and depression, and a lot of the root issue is that the lack of certainty about a business plan for the farm's future and, and its growth and the, the lack of certainty about the farm's succession plan. And if we can get a clear plan from day one, you know what ground you're standing on, what, what you're earning over the next 30 years, it can do a lot to improve family relationships as well as everybody's mental health. Um, no, that's, uh, you're exactly right, understanding kind of what that looks like going in and then like any other position you'd have a any other company he'd have that laid out as to what that would look like over that in the course of that career so good stuff yeah hey john i think that's a good place to stop for right now yeah i think so have a great thanksgiving you too man yeah you want to talk a little bit about your workshops that you have coming up yeah basically um we um i i've been doing this for 15 years and I have a, a program where, where I actually help farm families with that three-year process I just spoke to you about. Um, but I also put together a one-day workshop where in one day, I give away 10 of my best ideas that can help your family go from good to great as far as how, how you work together. And it's a good starting point for any, any kid that's just coming home to the farm. It's a great way to get a starting point to transition from a um, mom and dad um, family relationship to a professional working partnership. But also for farm families where you're in your 30s or 40s and you're kind of in the midst of, you know, having issues with how you work together as a family and how you do succession planning, I'll give you 10 really practical ideas that you can implement the next day. And everybody goes home with a 90-day program that you can actually practically implement in your operation and it will double. It's not going to solve all your family's problems, but it will double the probability of your family still farming together in 30 years' time. And so you can go to stubborn.farm to learn more about the program. We're doing it across North America. And also, you know, even uh, we got guys in, in South Africa and Australia signing up for the program online. Uh, but we're also um, doing it throughout the Midwest. And if you want to host an event in the Midwest, if you got 10 friends you can put together in a shop, I'd be happy to come out to your farm. And uh, we can even maybe raise some money for 4-H um, or local agriculture charity. If, if your local agriculture charity puts on an event, I'll um, give 20% of the door to them. And it's a win-win for everybody because it, it helps the local agriculture charity, but also helps farm families stay together. 
for the next 30 years. Right on. Good stuff. So if they want to reach out to you and get more information about this, what's the easiest way to do that? Just, just go to stubborn.farm or go to, uh, so www.stubborn.farm or call me 800-474-2057. And let's save family farms together. Right on. Good stuff. Okay. Have a great okay. Thanksgiving. You too, man. Appreciate you being on the podcast. Yeah. yeah appreciate that. Right on. You okay. take care and God bless. All right, man. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Moving Iron LLC. LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and see the video version of this on the Moving Iron YouTube channel, uh, Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Check that out there. Go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related. And, I, uh, I, 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 th- I think I should say one more thing, Casey, yeah, is that if anybody wants to give a book th- to a family member, if anybody enjoyed what they heard about today, I've got a book called uh, Farming Through Stubborn Family. And I, if you go to my website, you can go to, um, you can, you can, uh, get a free book and give it to your dad or, or uh, cousin and, uh, just improve the odds of them still farming together in 30 years time. Right on. So I'm at your website now. If you just jump up there on the, uh, the, uh, various links at the top, there's one called books. So just click on that and yeah, get it there. Be, so yeah, be good stuff. So, all right, man. So <clears throat> with that, have a, gr- have a great Thanksgiving. You too, man. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Andy Cajun Junkin. Smooth smart folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 800- 657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard work.